0: Well, good morning, church. Again, good to be together with you. We are in week two of our series called The Lost, where really we're, we're anchoring this whole series in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This is our, our theme verse. It says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. The lost is the nickname that Jesus gave to people who do not know him. And Jesus had a heart for these people. That's why he came, was for these people who don't know him. They're spiritually lost because Jesus is the way. And when you don't know the way, you're lost. So Jesus said, You go now. He came, he fulfilled his mission, died on the cross, and then passed the torch to us. And now our calling, our mission, our purpose, our very identity is wrapped up in this. But it's so easy to miss. It's so easy to think that life is about something else. And the enemy is really good at dangling other things in front of us to get us distracted from really the mission and the purpose and the calling and the identity that we all bear being followers of Jesus. We talked about this last week. We talked about really our identity is made up of these five different roles that the Bible says this is who you are, by no means, I wanted to make sure I made this clear. I can't remember if I said it last week or not. These roles aren't exhaustive. It's not like these are the only five. There's so many more. I just picked these five. We said, right, our new identity includes being a messenger of reconciliation. We said, an ambassador, one who lives and is a citizen of uh, another future uh, kingdom. But we're currently living in this broken kingdom that God has left us here to restore and rebuild and proclaim his name in. We said that we're actually called a priest. We're all called priests. Whether you went to seminary or not, you have the title of priest, which is just the middleman between people and God. We bring the hand of people and we bring people to God and then we represent God to people we said that we're we're sent ones we're ones that Jesus has said as the father has sent me he says in John so i am sending you so we said let's not be like little spoiled kids that when you send your kid to the room to their room you expect them to go to their room and not stand there like this and god has sent us not to our room but sent us to the world and then lastly we said that we're a worker that god has sent out into the fields that are just ready to be harvested just ready His church, are workers, sent out into the fields. And so, according to Jesus, we live in a world where a majority of the world is spiritually lost and spiritually blind. That was another name that the scriptures call those who don't know Jesus. They're blinded by the enemy. So, we live in a world, think about this, where most of the people are blind and lost, spiritually speaking. And, and then Jesus left us here to do something about it. And so there's lots of reasons why we don't, right? If I were to pass out a piece of paper right now and say, hey, I want you to list the top two reasons why you don't engage in the purpose of or the job of sharing your faith, sharing the gospel, evangelism, witnessing, letting your light shine. Why, why is that, right? We hear all kinds of responses, I, I, I get nervous, or I'm anxious, or I don't know what to say, or I, I'm afraid they're going to ask me questions about this that I don't know enough, and I haven't been trained enough, or uh, I, I'm embarrassed, I get ashamed, or I don't want to bother people, I don't want to be one of those people, or I'm kind of embarrassed of the whole, I don't know, Christianity in America, and I'm afraid to kind of even raise that flag to let them know I'm on that team because of what, right? We got all kinds of reasons why we won't go, why we don't go, and why we don't let our light shine. But it's my conviction this morning, and this is what I want to spend this morning talking about with you, is that ultimately, if we were to boil down all of those reasons and all of those excuses and strip all of those things away, I I don't think that's the main reason. I, I believe that there is ultimately one main reason why we don't engage in our identity and our mission and our calling to live this out. And that is because, and I'm including myself in this, so this is not me pointing at you, this is saying I think this is our problem. I believe that we have a heart problem. I believe that it's ultimately an issue of the heart, that it's not a it's not a knowledge issue, it's not a skill issue, it's not an opportunity issue. I really think that this is this is a heart issue because if 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 and when you encounter people that are blind and lost and it doesn't stir something in you then I would suggest that then we there's an issue with our heart there's something wrong there's something off there and it's disguised as either not knowing what to say, not having answers, being embarrassed, being ashamed, not wanting to bother them, whatever kind of other reason. But I think when we strip all those away, I think ultimately we have a heart problem. I know this is true in me. I believe it's true in in, in a lot of what I'm seeing. And mostly I believe it's true because this is what the Bible says is exactly going to happen. And I want to talk about this this morning. Um, So um, Jesus said this is what's going to happen. He said we're going to develop a heart problem. In, in the end, when things start going really bad and the world got, start getting really bad, Jesus said, the issue is not going to be knowledge or opportunity or boldness. The issue is going to be heart. Matthew 24, these are Jesus' words. Here's what he said. He said, they're going to hand you, this is talking about times in the end. And I already share with you as we've gone through, I, my conviction as to kind of where we're at on God's timeline and how um, time is short, I believe, my friends. Jesus said, they're going to hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you, which is already happening to our brothers and sisters around the world. I mean, Christians are being killed and slaughtered and martyred every day around the world. You're going to be hated by all nations because of my name. And many will fall away. We're seeing that happen. Betray one another. Hate one another. I can't remember living in a time where there's been more hatred towards one another than right now in 2022. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And then Jesus says, and because this lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. So what is happening right now in in our world, in our culture, in our churches, is exactly what Jesus said What's going to happen? It's playing out exactly like Jesus said that because wickedness and evil, and he used the word lawlessness, will increase, that it does something to the heart of those that should have a heart for those kind of people. The love of many will grow cold. So, lawlessness this word lawlessness means that we want to be our own law. We, we want to be a law unto ourselves. We don't want something else over us telling us what we can and what we can't do. And we, we want to be our own law. That's lawlessness. We want to do what we want to do. We want to create our own meaning, our, our own rules, our own identity. We want to create our own truth. Is that not, not what exactly is happening in our culture today? We're recreating everything, redefining what everything is, redefining what marriage is, redefining what gender is, and basic biology. We're redefining truth. We're redefining what's right and what's wrong, what's okay. I mean, everything is being—it's—it's it's lawlessness. We don't want a lawgiver over us. We want to do what we want. And then Jesus says, because all of that will happen, the love of many are going to grow cold. This word for love is it's, it's agape. It's the, the highest form of love. It's the love that you only experience from God and that you can only give because it's God's love in you. Agape love, that unconditional, unmerited love. Agape love comes from God. And and so the world does not know agape love. Doesn't know how to experience agape love since it's God's love. And so agape love this is this is talking about those that are believers, those that are Christians. The love of many. It's not saying that the world's going to become more unloving. It's saying God's people are going to become more unloving. Because lawlessness will increase. It's going to do something in our hearts. And it's going to make us get more angry. More separated. More kind of reviled. And the love of us will grow cold. And so I don't think we have a skill problem. Or I don't think we have a word problem. Or I don't think we have a knowledge problem. I think we have a heart problem. I have a heart problem. We have a heart problem. I mean, stop and think about it like this, if you would. We pursue that which is in your heart. Right? You pursue that which is in your heart. Um, a, A big part of where you're at today is because things, a vision, a dream was in your heart And you are largely in part, not necessarily because things happen to us along the way. So sometimes you end up not where you wanted to end up. But for the most part, we are where we are because your heart took you in this direction. And what was important to you and what was a dream for you and what was navigating principles for you that were desires of your heart. You are where you are because of what's in your heart. Your life today is a reflection of your heart. And the challenge in, in all of this, and maybe even right now you're mentally pushing back on what, what I'm sharing with you right now, the challenge in all this is, is that the Bible says our hearts are deceitfully wicked, deceitfully wicked, like they will de- your heart will deceive you. And so what maybe doesn't seem like a heart issue, see sometimes our hearts can get off course. Sometimes our hearts drift. Sometimes things that shouldn't be in our hearts get in our hearts. Sometimes we allow those things to rule our lives then that shouldn't even be in there in the first place. So our hearts, but it like, but we go by things and it feels right. Or, and, and so our it feels good because it's in our heart. We say things like, well, I'm just following my heart or I'm just doing what's in my heart. But that's a dangerous thing because your heart can deceive you. And so... With all of this, you might even be pushing back and saying, no, it's not, it's not a heart problem, no, no, no. And um, the Bible says this is going to be the case more and more about our hearts being led away in last days. This is what Paul said to Timothy. The Apostle Paul, he wrote the letter of 2 Timothy, he said this, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. And then he describes what's going to be, what it's going to be like. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. I mean, are we not seeing, seeing that irreconcilable? I mean, the, the middle there is no middle ground now. It is impossible to come to the middle to have civil conversations. They're just irreconcilable. Slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so in this incredibly describing, very picturesque portrayal of what things are going to be like in the end, ultimately it's a whole move towards away from loving God. And, 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 and we got to be careful because even our hearts can get swept up in some things and, and trick us. And here's, um, here's what I know. My heart grows cold towards my identity, mission, and calling of the lawless when my heart with God is not right. Because my heart, follow me please, church. My heart towards the horizontal is a direct reflection of the condition of my heart for the vertical. You cannot separate the two. You, you, I'll say it like this and then talk about it for a second. It is impossible to be growing in love for God while not be growing in love for lost people. Right? You, you, you cannot. Here's why. Because as you are growing in love for God... Listen, I'm not saying learning about God. I'm not saying knowing more about God. I'm using these words very specific. Growing in your love for God, right? In love with who God the Father is. And as you're growing in love for him and chasing after his heart, he takes his heart and he overlays his heart on your heart and begins to transform your heart. And then your heart begins to change and become more like the heart of the Father. And so it is impossible to pursue the Father Father's heart without having your own heart changed. And what's on the Father's heart? People. So it's on the heart of the Father. It's so much on the heart of the Father that He sent His Son here to die for those people, all the people. And so, just like in any relationship, young men, young women, you're not married and you begin to pursue dating and you begin pursuing dating. And, and, and the person that you're pursuing is into something that you were never into, guess what happens all of a sudden? You're into it now, right? You, you start getting into quilting. And you're like, why? why? I, 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 I don't understand quill. Why? Because that is something that is special in their heart. And because you are after their heart, all of a sudden it becomes special to your heart. It's, it's, it's the way it works. Because you care about them. And you love them. It's the same thing with the Father. You cannot be growing in love and pursuing the Father without getting the Father's heart in your heart. And so you can't be sitting here and saying, I'm growing in love with God. I just can't stand people in the world. You can't. But your heart will tell you you can. Your heart will even trick you and tell you you're justified in doing that. What do you do with this? First is... To be awakened that maybe you're not growing in love with God. Maybe you're growing in knowledge of, about the things of God, but you're not growing in love with God. The second is to do what the Bible says, and that is to just repent. Reap, rip open your heart and repent and say, God, my heart has deceived me again. This was happening to one of the early churches. The church that was in Ephesus. You can go to Ephesus today. It's in Turkey. You know what you're not going to find there? Churches. Um, This was the warning. This was the warning to the church at Ephesus, one of the first churches in the world. In Revelation, Jesus has given warnings to the early churches. And here's what he says to the church in Ephesus. He says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I will snuff out the light. I will turn off the lights of your church unless you repent. Lost, they lost their love. They lost their first love. And Jesus says, you gotta, you got to change your heart. you got to repent. Repent literally means to turn, to change. You've got to repent. Otherwise, I'm going to come. I'm turning the lights off on this thing. And You can go to Turkey today and look for the church in Ephesus. It's not going to be there. The, the lights got turned out. And so, how do we pursue the heart of God? And how do we know what's in God's heart? Well, that's how I want to end this morning and by taking time to look at three stories that Jesus told. And the reason he told these three stories is he wanted everyone to understand what's in the heart of the Father. They wanted to understand what was in the heart of the Father. So he told them three stories and they're all very similar. They're found in Luke chapter 15. The first story goes like this. Jesus said, what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. That's story number one. They would have completely identified with that because most of them there were shepherds and fishermen. And so they understand the concept of shepherding and you're with your flock and all of a sudden you lose one. Jesus says that shepherd is going after the lost sheep. And then he tells a second story. In verse 8 he says, Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Right? Similar. You have something, you lose something, You go after, that's something. Two stories, two similar plot lines, and and both stories end with the same conclusion. If you look at verse 10, here's what Jesus says. Here's how both stories end. He says, I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. So this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, I want you to get this. Lost things, they're not things. This is a story about people. Lost people matter to God. And when lost people get found, when sinners repent and come back to the Father, heaven throws a party. The angels celebrate, and this is the heart of God. He's going after lost things. This is the first two stories. Then he tells a third story that is almost exactly the same, but just a little different. And it's a story about... If you've been growing up in church, you've, you've heard the story. Maybe if you haven't even been in church, you've heard the story of the prodigal son. This story, let me summarize it up to a point. The story goes like this, that there was a father who had two sons. And the younger son came to the father and said, I want my share of the inheritance. Which is incredibly obnoxious and rude. He's basically saying... Dad, I can't wait till you're dead to enjoy your stuff. I want to enjoy your stuff now, so give me your stuff now. Basically saying, I wish you were dead, because I want your stuff now. And so the loving father grants the son's wish and gives him his share of the inheritance. Well, he takes his share of his father's inheritance and he goes off and just lives wildly and enjoys every pleasure of life and squanders it all. And ends up in complete poverty. And he goes out and he gets himself a job at some farm field where he's literally feeding slop to pigs. That's his job is to feed the pigs. And he's so poor and so hungry that he's looking at the slop that he's feeding to the pigs, and he's longing to eat the stuff that he's feeding to the pigs. And he has an "Aha moment, comes to his senses, and says, "What am I doing? This is ridiculous. I'm going to go home to Dad." I'm going to beg for mercy. I'm going to tell him I'm going to go back. And, Dad, I'm not deserving to be your son. Just treat me like a hired servant and I'll do that. And so that's what he does. And he starts his journey back home. When Jesus is telling the story, the father, it says, sees his son while he is still off in the distance. And Jesus says the father ran towards the son, which was just Shocking because, you know, Eastern men in that age, in that period of time, did not run. They they just didn't run. Right they have their tunic on you have to hike it up to just go running right the eastern men did not run but this father did not care about tradition or culture he was running towards his son and he runs to his son and he embraces him and the son starts in his speech father i have sinned against heaven and earth and the father says and we pick it up here in verse 22 the father told his servants quick Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring, the family signet, put the ring on his finger, put sandals on my boy's feet, bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, let's celebrate with a feast. Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Same exact story as the previous two. Something was lost. That thing is found. Party. Because the Father's heart is celebrated. Only this story doesn't end here. And this is where this story is different than the first two. Because the story continues with Jesus. And in a masterful way, well, let's just read it. Let's just read what happens here. The next verse says, Now the older son was in the fields, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother's here, he told them, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the younger or the older brother said, "Yes, my brother is home. The lost has been found. Praise the Lord! What an, a, mir- well, a miracle is taking place!" No. no. Oh, you guys know this story. <laughs> then he became angry and didn't want to go in. Angry that this younger brother came home and experienced grace and mercy and forgiveness. He didn't want to come in, so his father came out and pleaded with him. Oh, what an embarrassment to the father. What a way to disgrace the father, the host of this party. And the party's happening, and where's older brother? Uh, He he ain't coming. What do you mean he ain't coming? He's, He's angry. He's angry. And so the son wouldn't come in, and so the father had to go out to him, just like he had to go out to his younger son. And he pleaded with him, but his reply to his father, look. This, listen, young people here, words of the wise, if you are ever replying back to your dad in a possible debate situation, don't start with Look! <laughs> look! I did that's speaking from experience it didn't end well when you start with look sometimes that was the last word I got out right look and I don't remember after that look I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Why is this story different than the first two? Why did Jesus add in this extra character of the older brother in this story? I mean, it's strikingly different than the first two. And they go boom, boom, boom right in a row in Luke chapter 15. And here's why. In a masterfully storytelling way, in a powerful way, well... In order to understand, you have to go back to what happened just right before these three stories are told. To understand the setting of what happened and then Jesus tells these three stories. So you just turn back to Luke 15, read verse 1. Here's how it goes. All the tax collectors, that is thieves, robbers, that's who the tax, they were dirty businessmen. All the tax collectors and the sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. They were drawn to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 3. So he told them this parable. And there is the setting. You have the religious people. That you had to look a certain way, and act a certain way, and dress a certain way, and eat a certain way, and talk a certain way. And then the Messiah, the Son of God came, who didn't fit any of their religious, stereotypical ways came and started hanging out with the very people that he came to seek and to save, and the religious people got mad at them. They should be, you should be separating yourself. That's what the word Pharisee means. That literally means separate ones. You should be separating yourself from those heathens, those sinners, those lost people. And Jesus goes, let me tell you a story. In fact, I'm going to tell you three. And then in an unbelievable plot twist... He puts those people in the third story as the older brother. The older brother who was standing out in the fields and not coming in, separating himself from his lost, evil, wicked younger brother, embarrassing the father because he would not come in and join the heart of the father for lost things being found. Jesus puts the religious elite that want to separate themselves from the bad guys in the story. And now he becomes the bad guy. And so over all the years, this has always been called the story of the prodigal son. And we, just, the highlight has been on the younger brother. When in context, this story is as much, if not more, about the evil heart of the older brother. Both sons were bad. One acted bad and sinned against the father. One acted good and sinned against the father. And his heart was revealed in the moment of pressure. All these years I've what for you? Slaved for you. God, I'm the good. I was good. I obeyed you. I went to church. I did this. I'm good. I'm one of the good guys. The Bible says that our righteous acts are even like filthy rags to God. You know what the truth is? We're all bad guys. Apart from the grace of God to save sinners. Younger brother types that act bad and look bad. And older brother types that act good and are still bad. And their heart is revealed in this moment. And it is, I believe, a very important message for you and I in today's age, church. Because if we are not careful, well, go ahead and write this down. (laughs) If we are not careful, the church of today could become the elder brother in Jesus' story. Where we get angry at the younger brothers. We get angry at their wicked behavior. We get angry at their vile decisions. We get angry at their lawless behavior. We get angry at them. And we miss the heart of God. Do you see, friends, why I believe ultimately? Listen, in the weeks to come, I'm going to give you, there's four more weeks of this series left. We're going to get really practical. I'm going to give you tools and help equip you and give you knowledge. And how do you share? And how do you do this? And why am I nervous? And what if I'm ashamed? And how do I get into these things? We're going to give you, but I could give you all the tools in the world to put on your evangelism tool belt. But if there's a heart issue, the tools don't matter because you ain't going to go because it's a heart issue. There's a little bit of elder brother, I think, in all of us here that we need to just repent of. And that's how we're gonna close this morning's service. We just need to repent. And we need to ask God to come in and just sift that part of us out. Say, God, God, I confess I'm so angry at those that are blind and lost. God, I don't wanna go. God, I don't want to care. God, I'm so, I'm so angry at the way things are going. Right? You cannot hide your heart from the Lord. And so you need to invite him in and not drift into the position of being the elder brother that Jesus very purposefully put in the story to expose their own hypocrisy. So worship team, come. And let me close by reading you this quote by Francis Frangipane. Who is a brilliant author, and um, I read this quote like three or four years ago, and it hit me. Um, hold on, don't take it down for just one second. Let me set it up. Um, whenever I read something that just hits me, um, I, I, I save it in a file, right? And here we are now, three or four years later, and I knew this was the time to to share it. So. It's only gotten worse over the last three and four years since he wrote this. Um, but I, I pray that it would challenge your heart today as it's challenged mine. Here's, here's what he said. He said, for those who say they have lost faith for America, my response is that you didn't lose faith. You lost love. You were praying for a revival, but instead evil increased and your heart hardened let me suggest that you forgive America and ask God to forgive and change your leaders as well And he's not he's not saying change your leaders like get this guy out and get this guy in That's not to change he's talking he's talking about change the hearts of our leaders in general not change them out. The answer is not swapping around every four years this flip-flopping back and forth. It's never going to change. We all need a heart change. And that's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can do that. And so he says, return to love and you will return to faith. For faith works through love. Galatians 5, 6 says that. Faith works through love and love believes all things. 1 Corinthians 13 says, you see, you didn't lose faith, you lost love. And this was written three or four years ago, 2018, 2019. And so let's just do that. Let's close now by just starting afresh, inviting the Lord in to reveal to us, listen, our own hearts deceive us. Reveal to us any elder brother-like heart that we have. So can you close your eyes and bow your heads? Just right now, would you just invite the Lord in and say, God, show me where my heart is off. God, I want your heart. Listen, heart surgery is is not always enjoyable. (laughs) And for some of you, you don't want to change, you don't want to give up the way your heart feels. the Lord about that. God, we can't hide our hearts from you. pray that you do a work in our hearts Father I pray that our hearts wouldn't be so hard that you can't come and bring because we can we can quench the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who right now in this moment wants to be speaking to us and leading us, and nudging us to things in our hearts that have snuck in there God I pray, I pray that we wouldn't harden our hearts to your promptings and to your leadings God, I pray that we would be individuals and that we'd be a church that with courage steps into our calling, our mission, our identity. Change our hearts, oh God, I pray. Give us your heart. How about this, church? Just pray this. God, let me see lost people the way you see lost people. Let me see them the way you see them. Break our hearts the way your heart breaks. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand, let's close in worship.